Hey, legendary human. Yes, I'm talking to you. Love the show? Why not joining hundreds of creatives already part of our collective for monthly masterminds, challenges, masterclasses, and so much more? We help creatives make a positive impact in the world with their message and their content. So give your creative work the visibility that it deserves. Find out more about how to get involved in the show notes of this episode. We've learned to to listen to the feedback because some of it may actually apply to more than that one person who voiced it. You know, they may be representative of a, a wider audience who are all thinking the same thing. Hi team, Fab here. Welcome back again to the Make an Impact Show. How are you doing today? You doing good? Not so good? Just about good? If you're not doing so good today, this is my challenge. Wherever you are, wherever you're listening, unless you're in the car, in which case, don't do this. All right, what are we going to do now? Stand up. Yes, again, not in the car, please. I don't want you on my conscience. But wherever you are, if it's not you driving, stand up. If you cannot stand up, then just do me this favor and roll your shoulders down. Open up your chest. All right, got it? Great. Now, close your eyes, listen to my voice, and give me a big smile. Bigger than that. You can go bigger than that. You can totally go bigger than that. Yes! Big smile, shoulders down, chest up. <sighs> Breathe in. Breathe out. Great. Awesome. Feeling better now? Shall we get started? Well, if you remember what we talked about last week, and I'm sure you do, you cheeky monkey, you will remember that last week and this week, I'm going to share with you two interviews that are part of our content mastery course. Yes, indeed. So this is interview number two, and it's with me, Samantha and Amy from the HBC team. And this week, uh, we will share the one where we talk about working with brands, creating and crafting content for clients which is obviously a very hot topic and all of us have experience in doing that, different experiences, so I thought I'll bring us together and chat about that. And in the same module, which is the module about working with brands, is actually the food photography module because we talk a lot about obviously creating pictures of food but we do know that a lot of our influencers and bloggers in the community are food bloggers or they do create some recipes with brands as well. So I thought it would be nice to share this and um, as I said, this is actually part of the Content Mastery course, so this is a little bit of an extra for you. Um, the course doesn't just cover food photography, it also covers product photography and lifestyle photography. It covers uh, creating your first recipe video, creating your first stop motion video. It covers your style filters and defining kind of the mood of your photography. We go into obviously the basics, just for anyone that kind of feels they want to refresh, food props and last but not least editing if you want to get more info about obviously the course then all you have to do is go to www.bitly bit.ly and then you can head a slash hbc content mastery that's it all right if not you can always check in the show notes and you'll be able to find link to this course after this we have a very very cool interview which is with dear friend and obviously a 
I guess partner because we worked with them before, which is Joe from One Planet Pizza. So yay! I'm really excited to have Joe with me, and together we are gonna talk about One Planet Pizza. What One Planet Pizza is? Yeah, pizza company. Well done, guys. But it's the first big frozen vegan pizza. Uh, in the UK and it's also delicious and we know that because funnily enough we did create some content for them we worked together to create some content for their range we created some pictures we did some stop motions as well it was great fun so I thought it would be a nice way to tie this over as well and if you're listening to this this week this is the week that Content Mastery is launched on the 16th of September the course dropped but next week is the Health Blog Awards which means uh, One Planet Pizza is, it is actually our vegan sponsor, so we're really excited to introduce them to you today so you can listen to this, get to know Joe, get to know the story behind One Planet, and also the cool thing about this business is that it is a family affair, which I love, and I met both Joe and Mike, and they're all incredible people, so I definitely recommend you getting to know them a bit more and listening to this podcast and let me know what you think. Strap in, we're going to start with our little chat about working with brands when it comes to food photography and then straight into our interview with a lovely Joe from One Wine Pizza. Hi kids! Hi! Hey. Team HBC here again. I'm Fab. Samantha. I'm Amy. Now we're talking about working with brands on food photography, which is one of the things we used to do at HBC and... Oh, these ladies, yeah. 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 Wow. So we've got quite a lot of experience, mm-hmm. I'll say, joint experience. Mm-hmm. And I think there are some things that sometimes we don't think about that can save you so much time. Yeah, they're helpful. And so we thought we'll talk a bit about our respective experiences and things we have learnt by working with people. Because when you add somebody else to the equation of your content, mm-hmm. that changes a lot the way the content works. That's okay. what I found. Yeah. Should we run through the process of how it works before and then kind of in the shoot and then sharing and that kind of thing. Yep. So what would you say is your before? One of the things that people need to think about. I think you need to really understand the brand properly. So you need Mm -hmm. to properly research, if not chatting with the brand, I think that's always a good way to do it. Um, And photography specific, you need to understand what they're going for Mm -hmm. and maybe why they're going for that as well. If they're focused on, you know, nice kind of healthy, happy living, then it might be that they want light, bright photos. So tying those two together and understanding the reason why behind that is really important. Because I think you can mm-hmm. then convey that in all of your shoots and photography and stuff. Yeah, so like if they're working on a specific campaign, exactly. um, I don't think they're like, oh, we want to focus on like uh, these kind of ingredients in this one. Yeah. So like making those pop when you're then taking photos or yeah, just what the message they want to get yeah, across. Exactly. Pro- or even the product they're trying to sell or the, mo- the market they're trying to sell to. Yeah. So just know who the end user yeah. or the, the target audience, I guess, of yeah. those images are. Awesome. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to say as well is that you need to remember that when you're working with somebody else and it's probably working so that they can reuse the content or mm-hmm. use it solely themselves, depends on where you're at with that, obviously, uh, it's very different from just ask somebody asking you to post on your feed with your style entirely. Yeah, that's so true. Because people will like, we we're talking about a thing with Amy as well, people yeah. will want to work with you because of you and your style. Yeah. Also, you need to remember that, if especially if, uh, if there's no repurposing and resharing on your end, and you're just literally creating content for somebody else, yeah. that changes a lot the way that these things work and the expectations that the brand will have. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I would say, which Sam may be able to add to, 
is that you need to remember to ask the brand questions because mm -hmm. sometimes you don't think about it and then what happens is you go to the day before and sometimes people switch up somehow and oh mm -hmm. actually i need to think about what's going to happen there so if you want to make them happy make sure that you get to know from them what they actually want yeah yeah getting a clear list of like their expectations mm -hmm. pre-shoot you can make sure that you match those um you don't want to leave it open and then they arrive and they, they think it's something that it's not yeah um, but we were talking about this based on people coming to an Instagram account. Mm -hmm. They can see your style yeah. and they come to you and say, we really like this. Can mm -hmm. you do that for us? Yeah. Whereas if you're not basing it on Instagram, if you're doing or social media at all, and you're just supplying them with the photos like you were saying, they actually might come to you as a photographer and just say, we want like dark and secretive when you're used to doing light and bright. Yeah. So knowing exactly what they want Mm -hmm. is so important because it might not be your favourite way of shooting or your the way you do it most of the time. Yeah. So yeah, getting to know exactly what they expect pre-shoot is so important. Also, we'd like to add, because um, we had the experience of working with people on, on location with us, mm -hmm. and that is a different, and it can happen, especially some people would want to happen for a reason, and it's very different than having a shoot when you're shooting on your own. And so you have to remember yeah. that as well, it's just the, the, t the time, warps a bit when you're working when the, yeah. the brand is there they're not it's kind of easier in a way because you you get instant feedback mm -hmm. but yeah. also you're going to spend a whole day probably doing something they will do in half a day that's what yeah time well. management i think is essential because if they're there they'll be like oh could you just get another one of this or oh i really like mm -hmm. that and it, it can get carried away i think you need to really know how much time you've got and use that wisely mm -hmm. and convey that to them as well i do something similar not on shoot but with some companies I'll WhatsApp them photos as they go. They're like, oh, can you slightly tweak that? Yeah. It is great, but it then again, it adds up on the yeah. time because yeah. they're like, oh, can you tweak that? Can you change that? Yeah. I kind of feel like I'm more under pressure to like, yeah. perform well yeah. because I'm like sending them updates. But it's good because you know you're getting yeah. what they want and what they expect. Yeah. Um, so that's another way you don't have to actually be in the same room as the mm -hmm. brand. But yeah, I just WhatsApp them pictures yeah. as I'm doing a shoot. And I think if you work also on a more like one post basis or something mm -hmm. with a platform, or I'm, talking, I'm thinking about hours for any these days, you will be able to send a mock mm -hmm. ideas. So yeah. again, that's what I say when it comes to that. Just make sure that the mock photo is something that you're happy with, but also sometimes, unless you are super sure about your idea, mm -hmm. make it so it's something that you can relatively easily whip up as an idea mm -hmm. and get uh, and get at least a yes or a no, and then you can give them something more polished. I'm saying this because sometimes you think people know what they want, but people don't know what they want mm -hmm. until they yeah. see it. So having a rough, um, it's not like, it's not like you would do a sketch if you were a designer, mm -hmm. yeah. like a rough idea of what the picture looks like, and then be like, this is going to be polished, it's going to be edited, mm -hmm. it's going to be X, Y, and Z. But this is the vibe that I'm going for. Yeah. How does it work for you? Is obviously an extra level of communication, but as Amy said, sometimes you have to do it anyway, mm -hmm. yeah. and you literally edit the whole thing. So think about this depending on the volume, depending on how much mm -hmm. you're getting paid, and depending on what kind of project you're taking on as well. Yeah, and I think if you're working with people, they are with you during the process during the shoot. You've got to be ready to have people watch your process. Yeah, yeah. Like that's something I found really difficult with my first couple of shoots with people there, is that you're doing everything that you normally do and kind of moving your limbs and moving food and taking things in and out, and they are just stood there watching you. And you've got to be mm -hmm. comfortable with that. You've got to make like they are kind of not judging you, but they're they're watching the whole process and taking it all in and saying, "Can you move this? Can you do that?" Yeah. So if you if that's not how you like working, then you know, it's worth kind of having that conversation mm -hmm. and saying, oh, if you could send the product instead or something like that. Yeah. 
but yeah get to grips with that that feeling that they're just <laughs> yeah. watching while you do it well another way to get a good idea of what they want and what they expect is I do a lot like they'll send me Pinterest boards. Yeah, so yeah, they'll collect loads, yeah, mood boards, yeah. Pinterest boards, they'll collect loads of images that they like and they're like, this is the kind of style that we want mm. it to be shot in, but obviously, um, like do it with our projects, that kind of thing. So that's also a nice like visual yeah. way of making sure that you're getting um, the kind of photos that the brand yeah. wants. To be honest, we're talking also in the module a lot about food styling and Samantha runs us through kind of how the basically the brain, take out the brain, <laughs> I would just say, lay it out there. Mm-hmm. Because it is a very important element. The dish can be the most beautiful dish in the world, the food can be the most beautifully looking sometimes, but it's just adds that level of story mm-hmm. as well yeah. to it, I think. Yeah. As well as obviously your touch, but also that story. So um, learning that can really help you. Obviously you need to know the basics how to take a nice photo. But I think I've seen like food styling around it is really like can elevate. Mm. Uh, something because it kind of reconnects you with something you mentioned before as well uh, when we're talking the stages mm-hmm. of yeah, of the dish yeah. right I think is, is essential because sometimes you're working on we'll talk about lifestyle photo and we'll touch on how to make products stand out and it's harder mm-hmm. it's much harder uh, than it would be for like a beautiful smoothie bowl yeah I've mm-hmm. done I've done toothpaste and we survived it, it's great but it's harder yeah, we yeah. have to convey something funny to create some sort of connection and it's not the same as uh, mm. some things that are easy when it comes to food. So remember that um, the food is great, but there can be other stuff that can elevate yeah. that as well. And brands will come to you with a brief, potentially, as well. Yeah. And it won't necessarily be about the food. Like, I had a brief recently that was dark and secretive. Like, that's not saying, I want the carrot on this plate to look a certain way. Like, yeah. you've got to style that plate and then you've got to make the whole thing appear secretive and making food... Yeah. come across mm-hmm. as secretive is a completely different process to I've just got to make this look pretty on the plate. Yeah. So yeah, definitely that element of styling and like storytelling and capturing their brand values in mm-hmm. everything that you're shooting. Uh, one more question that mm-hmm. I have. So when it comes to the pause to shoot, what are some of the things that you need to think about when you have created the content? We talked about it a bit when it comes to like going back and forth and getting the feedback in mm-hmm. a very easy and straightforward way. Mm-hmm. But is there anything else that you think people should remember? I always ask, so, I mean, editing-wise as well. Yeah, I guess so as well, yeah. So I would always edit the photos that I've taken and then I supply them to the client. But I always ask that they do not put any further edits on that picture unless they've asked me to do it myself because it can really ruin the quality or if you just whack a filter on it on Instagram, it kind of takes away from everything that you've done yourself. So yeah, I always have a contract that kind of politely says, any further edits that you'd like, please let me know and we can do them together. Mm and not just handing them over and then they then ruin that photo that you've taken. You've worked so hard on the perfect light and then they filter it to make it look completely different. So yeah, I would say be clear on whether you're happy for edits to be made to your photos because also they're going out as you. So if a brand is sharing that and crediting you as the photographer, if you don't like the way that looks and you don't think that that's Mm -hmm. how it should be shared, people will just assume that's your work and that's not necessarily And it will affect you as well, I suppose. Exactly, Yeah. yeah. So just think about that process and... Make sure that you're clear from the beginning, I would say. Yeah. Anything else? Um, I guess agree on a time scale if you're sharing them together. Yeah. Um, to make sure like you're either not sharing on the same day or that you are sharing on the same day. Um, depending on whatever the images are used for, but making sure that they yeah. are shared in the right way and just make that really clear. Yeah. After you've sent them over. Yeah, I think that's pretty much covering the whole process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. we hope this was useful as well. And as we said, there's going to be 
more talk about a full photography but also a whole element of lifestyle photography which I think is very interesting because if you want to play with things you kind of want to know the difference as I said food can be even toothpaste so <laughs> it doesn't mean that it's impossible it doesn't mean that you cannot make any story appealing as well so thank you so much girls for joining thank me How is your uh, YouTube series thingy? Good going? fun, yeah. <laughs> series thingy, mm, very professional. For that. <laughs> no, but you can tell me exactly what it is. It doesn't I'm... feel professional when we're doing it. No. <laughs> it's basically it's just me and Mike um, driving around the country, meeting up with sort of vegan celebrities and influencers um, whose stories we re really want to know more about. So we just filmed our fourth or fifth episode with Matt Pritchard, who's the dirty vegan. Oh yeah. Uh, so he's Dirty Sanchez. I don't know if you ever watched that. It was a real big show in the UK when I was a kid growing no. up. And it was a bit like Jackass, but the UK version. Really? And uh, <laughs> they just they went around the world doing stunts and they made a movie out of it eventually. And it was a real cult thing. And uh, he was just ridiculously stupid. And he just he was a bit reckless and he got and then got into the drinks and drugs and and then it dried up. And uh, at some point he had a sort of turnaround moment where he really got into his ultra fitness stuff so he did marathons then he did triathlons and now he does like Ironmans Deckers which are 10 Ironmans in a row oh, so he's like ultra athlete now and uh, and he went vegan a few years back and um, has since released yeah vegan cookbook and done the I think the BBC's first uh, vegan cookery class um, cookery show oh that's amazing so he's doing incredible things for vegans um, how was it? To, uh, so you actually go to their places and then you cook with them or something on those lines. So this is what makes it special is that we, we actually, yeah, we invite ourselves into their kitchens and their homes and we turn up with our little pizza oven and all our ingredients and we just, we just set up a camera and get cooking with them. So we show them how to make a pizza, uh, but whilst kind of like just having a chat with them. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've seen how you make your pizzas, so I feel like I'm already like on an insider note. You're, you've got a foot in the door already. <laughs> we, need to get, we need to come around here for tea, don't we? <laughs> uh, well, I'm actually going to be moving so you can come to my new place. Well, wait. Yeah. Exactly. We'll do it as a moving in thing. <laughs> yeah. Moving in pizza party any day. <laughs> yeah. Any day. I'm pretty sure Michael is going to be excited about that. If you bring it to my boyfriend, he's going to yeah. get pizza. Everyone's like, yes. Has he tried our pizzas before? No, he hasn't. Okay. Especially, and I think he's one that uh, every so often I talk to him, and you know, he's very flexible and he kind of has a flexible approach, but he's still like full, full meat, full cheese, full yeah. dairy. So every, every time he tries something vegan and he likes it, he's really excited because yeah. he's not expecting it. So um, I'm really excited about the pizzas because, you know, big pizza fan. It's so. the ultimate weapon for non vegans, I think, pizza. That's yes. just, you know, that's the most exciting food for a person who loves their meat and dairy. It's like, well, let's. Let's show them how good vegan food can be. And I think pizza's a great example, isn't it? 100%. Because at the end of the day, it's it's the cheese that can... And I know that... I remember that you up, um, yeah. upgraded your cheeses when we did our little shoot together and stuff. So it's not been that, that long. It's, it's no, like, no. We're still getting lots of excited people sort of stretching it and pulling it. And I've never seen that before in the yeah. vegan food world. So it's a good way to convert people and, and get them thinking about vegan cheese again. Because at the end of the day, you are trying to get that. I mean, now I'm coming from a very geeky Italian pizza point of view, but you're still trying to get that sort of like pulling cheese that comes a lot from the. I'm thinking about the US joint, so that kind of like nice, like 
yeah. comfort food pizza because if you get an Italian pizza you know, don't get a bloody string of cheese you get water and then like a lump of mozzarella just falls but yeah. that's the way that the Italian pizza is and that's a different thing it's changed yeah I yeah. think you're going for that kind of feeling of like a nice comfort food and then people like pull the pizza apart to get that's there that's it yeah. yeah it's not uh, we've never said our pizzas are like traditional Italian pizzas because uh, we're just not trying to copy them and exactly. do that uh, we may do a range one day of traditional Italian pizzas mm. with a vegan twist, obviously, but ours at the moment, is, we're sort of straight down the middle. Uh, they're not deep pan, they're not super thin crust, and they're just loads of toppings, loads of sauce, loads of cheese. So probably more American-style pizzas. I just think works for what you're trying to do anyway, they're coming together, yeah. they're kind of like, they're sharing. And yeah. At the end of the day, it's frozen, so it kind of, you know, serves itself for when you are really hungry and you don't have anything. And That's like, it. Yes, baby, pizza! Yeah. That's kind of what you want. And so many frozen pizzas, um, all the non-vegan ones, but also the new vegan ones, um, they're so short on toppings and sauce and cheese. I don't know if you remember, but when I was growing up, I'd always buy a frozen pizza at the weekend mm-hmm. and there was never enough tomato sauce. It like dried out and there's, you always have to add a little bit of cheese and some yeah, toppings. To be honest, it's really hard for me to remember because unless I have it here, what I'm yeah. having here, usually you can literally go everywhere. There's like there's enough as many pizza joints as there are Starbucks. Yeah. If you think yeah. about it, so you're buy fresh. You'd rather just get like a fresh. Usually get um a sli- What do you call here? A slice. It can be a slice or it can be um a little triangle. Not triangle. Sorry. Um square. Yeah. So you have it that way. So it's really. We did have frozen pizzas as well every so often, but I don't have a lot of memories of it because on on the weekend it would be everybody coming together buying like a literally a meter of pizza they cut into yeah. a meat and then they slice it and they just have it so um but that's the thing i think a lot of people have different memories but pizza is one of those foods that people have memories mm. associated with i don't know if you found if you found that having again a vegan pizza yeah and was it something that you did also for yourself thinking about you going vegan and wanting to find something that yeah, you actually enjoyed definitely yeah so the story goes that mike um so i've got two sisters and mike and my mum we all grew up um loving home cooking like yeah. my mum would make stews lasagnas shepherd's pies roasts and they'd always be vegetarian yeah because half of us were veggie mike was vegan and then um my sister was a meat eater, so okay. we had like the whole complete <laughs> no list range. of dietary requirements. So my mum was tested, bless her. But um, every Saturday when we were growing up, for as long as I could remember, it would be pizza making night. So yeah. it was always there as part of our history. We'd, we'd like help my dad make the dough. We'd leave it with a towel over the top by the radiator or in the airing cupboard to, to, to rise. And then we'd get really excited by stretching out and adding stuff. Um, so it was always there. And when, when we started making the frozen pizza range... Um, all that experience came back and it was quite nostalgic for us and it was it was just great bonding and we find a lot of people come to us saying it's it's just a great way of eating together because it's uh, one pizza a lot of people will share it as a couple or they buy a few and have it True. as a family thing so how how did that come into the the step of actually creating your own pizza or your own pizza company I would probably yeah. say mm. so my yeah, my dad, Mike, and uh, one of his sort of long-term friends, Tanya, who was also vegan, um, they were aware of the, the sort of rise of the vegan movement and the sort of explosion of it in 2016. Yeah. So three years back. It just went crazy. It was everywhere in the UK especially. It was just going absolutely True. crazy. True. Um, and they, they noticed that the biggest emerging gap in that market was the frozen pizza section. But also the high-end frozen pizza section, there was just nothing. 
And this is in a day and age where you can get any type of food from anywhere in the world in the supermarket in the UK. That's very true, yeah. And there just wasn't, there wasn't a high-end frozen vegan pizza. And it was like, this is, how has this not been done yet? And, um, and then they brought it to me because I've gone vegan recently and we had a chat and we just thought this, um, we need to do this, we need to capitalise on this, we need to do it right for ourselves and for the community before some big conglomerate or you know chain does it. Yeah. So we wanted to get there first and sort of put our flag in that space <laughs> and do it justice as well because using our experience and our passion for veganism, we yeah. wanted to sort of create something that was more than just the pizza but we could use it as a... Uh, use it as a, a vehicle or a platform to talk about sustainability and, and other important topics. How long were you? Sorry, when did you go vegan? As I put it this way, actually, I think it was 2015. So between three and four years ago, okay. uh, I'd been vegetarian since I was 10, um, and I was lucky when I was a kid. Mike was always vegan. Uh, he's old school vegan. Yeah, now. I was gonna say, um, you... 35 years. What? Yeah, so since he was in his. 20s um so we grew up around it and yeah, yeah, yeah. growing up around one vegan was you know back in the 90s and the noughties was was strange because he was the only one of his kind around yeah, like, I was gonna say. there was just no one else you know a couple of people were vegetarian and that was probably yeah, yeah yeah weirder back then than it is to be vegan now it was more obscure more strange 100 percent um so yeah we always had his influence on the side but he never pushed us which was nice um my mum she wasn't, uh, she wasn't vegan, but she never ate meat. So we had kind of this uh, combination of vegetarians and, meat and vegans and then my sister being a meat eater. So we were always aware of it being an option and, and all this home cooking helped. So, um, yeah, I went veggie because partly of that, but also because my mum's parents, my grandparents, own a pig farm in Norfolk. Mm-hmm. And I grew up on this pig. We went there a lot and I was always with these pigs and, and on this farm. And uh, when I was old enough to realise... Uh, what happened to the pigs I just thought I love animals I don't want to be part of this and luckily my dad was kind of on the sidelines as as a vegan already so he was more than happy to help us with with everything else the nutrition side of things so was so out of curiosity was um whose parents were the ones that owned my mum's parents yeah so they were pig farmers in rural Norfolk um and interestingly they had four kids yeah um and three of the four are now vegetarian from wow. a pig farm, which is incredible. Yeah, yeah, And they yeah, all yeah. came from rural Norfolk. You know, grow, grow up with meat and two veg. Yeah, I was going to say. On a that's... pig farm. <laughs> and four kids, three of them are now vegetarian. Wow. So that yeah. just shows, doesn't it, when, you, when you're exposed to these things, quite and often... Start, yeah, you start thinking about it, don't you, as yeah. well? Yeah. And that's the thing. Well, what did you learn then when, you know, I think especially you went vegan, realistically speaking, and you probably immersed yourself in this world that when it was just starting... Um, but not just on the personal side, but also on the commercial side. You've seen the community growing and everything changing around what veganism and plant-based and all this kind of like ecosystem is. So what 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 are some of the things that you've seen that you've noticed um, have changed in the last kind of year or so? You know, coming from where you've been now for four years, because I've seen a massive change in a very interesting new environment where like labels are a bit blurred things that were different and like there's like a lot more experimentation but again I'm coming from the outside yeah being non, even non-being vegan myself so it's kind of like a different thing one of the one of the biggest things that I notice now is having been a vegetarian at university and and then as a kid through school um there was always this backlash um 
from friends and family who, who didn't understand it, didn't want to be part of it, um, saw it as a way of us, of, of me challenging them. Yeah. And um, most vegans and veggies will know that feeling um, of that sort of conf- underlying confrontation. And um, so especially uni, uh, not too long ago, I remember lots, most of my friends around me, it would be like an ongoing joke that I was the vegetarian. <laughs> and, um, you know, it was just, it was so easy to, to ridicule it and make fun of it. And I was okay with that. I was, I was used to it as a kid. You just kind of toughen up. Yeah. And um, you take it as it is. But I've noticed over the last three years, those same people who used to question it and laugh at it are now watching Cowspiracy. They're watching What the Health on Netflix. They're, they're buying our pizzas on Ocado. <laughs> and uh, I've got a really good friend called Chris and he's now gone fully vegan with his girlfriend. Nice. And, um, you know, just three or four years ago, I wouldn't have ever imagined, you know, I wouldn't have bet on that ever happening, <laughs> let alone him going vegetarian. And um, that's one of the big shifts I've noticed with the vegan movement is that it's become so much more commonplace and accessible and people are less ashamed to identify with it. It's almost now, um, you know, fashionable and it's totally normal to, yeah. to consider yourself a flexitarian because people now wear it as a badge of pride where they're, you know, they're saying, look, I'm conscious of what's happening to the environment and I want to do something about it. Yes. I think that's what vegan is now worn as. I um, see. Whereas before... The facts and figures were just so well hidden and uh, there weren't enough documentaries out there or at least we weren't, it, they weren't so accessible so people weren't really taking it seriously. They just saw it as a bit of an extreme diet. I guess it revamped itself as well. Yeah. Like, yeah like, again, I'm thinking about spirituality which is something that I'm really close to and when I started being more open about it because I've always had it in the back of my head and my mum is very progressive in their respect, Ayurveda and all of their meditation always and... Um, Still, probably five or six years ago, when I started going a bit more on that side, um, people were thinking, again, either you go and run naked in the woods during the new moon, or you just don't do anything. And there's actually something in between, and that was where I was, yeah. but still it wasn't as, as widespread. And now people are buying books about crystals and tarot, yeah. something that I've been doing for years. So it's that kind of thing where almost... Um, it got a bit hipstered. I call mm. it like the urban fitter effect. So if somebody knows what urban fitter is, when something comes into urban fitters, yeah. I know it's become cool. Yeah. So it kind of like that urban fitter effect where things come into that kind of fashion and whether we like it or not, at least we can embrace it because it's something that we feel more um, relatable to us. Yeah. Uh, rather than something that feels very distant and that's what I've seen like when I used to go you must have been as well going to some of the veggie and vegan fests six years ago I was actually speaking at one six years ago so I remember uh, I was vegan by, by, back then and um, it was very different I felt I felt kind of weird about it I just felt mm. it was very distant from where I was and I was like different almost age as well different mentality because it didn't feel relatable to me and I think that's what Definitely. probably alienated a lot of people. Like, veggie is fine. My mum has been veggie for since I can remember. Um, but the vegan at the time fell still, like, again, naked in the woods running. A bit and, of a cult. You know what I mean? It? Yeah. And it wasn't, but nevertheless, that's all you could see or that's all you were exposed to. Right now, anybody can be vegan and, and you know, you can go and have a burger and it's a vegan burger. Yeah. And I think that kind of makes people feel a bit more relaxed about it. Yeah, and there's less pressure, isn't there? It's like people who want to dip their toes in it 
can and they've got the options out there and they've got the friends who are vegan the support networks are all in place now for people just to give it a try and, and not feel so scared exactly and you can find something that kind of reminds you realistically speaking of some of the food that you like yeah because for example i i am very conscious about i pretty much don't eat meat anymore i only have some fish but it's always been more than the health side of it even if there are benefits obviously for me it's always been more on the environmental side of it mm. and just animals so I still like to eat some of that comfort food. Still like to eat just the fact that I can go to Genesis, which is in London, which is in Shoreditch, by the way. If anybody is in London, and have some really nice fake duck salad, yeah, it's just nice. I was there a few weeks ago actually with my girlfriend. It's really cute, isn't yeah. it? It's such a cool, such a cool space. If anybody wants to go to London or is in London, you go to Shoreditch. It's pretty much off Brick Lane. It's it's great. It's got a great vibe. It's yeah, it's a real vegan centre, isn't it? You've got Virgo around the corner. True. And then the list goes on of places that you can walk to. Brick Lane is insane right yeah. now. Brick, if you go to London, you go through Brick Lane, which is a big lane in East London. You find loads of like uh, fake burger joints. Yeah. And there's another one that I don't remember this name, but they do also like uh, Asian-inspired vegan mm. stuff. It's plenty. And then that's what I like as well. It's just you have that variety that makes you feel like you can actually go and eat something instead of having a cucumber salad. Yeah. Which is what used to be the case. Yeah, and anything, anything you used to eat, you can now get vegan in restaurants or in the shops, can't you? That's the thing. So you don't, you don't have to miss out on anything. Whereas not long ago, you would have to say, look, this just isn't good enough yet. Let's just not have this. And I think for a lot of the times, one of the things that I found out um, as somebody who doesn't drink anymore, but still enjoy the taste of things like fake beer and stuff mm. like that. It's so much easier right now because I can just get my fake beer, have it with me, and people... There doesn't have to be a conversation. There can be a conversation about it, but it doesn't have to be a conversation yeah. about it. It can just be, this is just who I am. This is the reason why I do it. You can do it. You cannot do it. It's fine. And I find it's that kind of thing that allows people to be more open, but also not having to, you know, feel like they're pressured into, I'm going to have, a, I don't know, an orange juice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if I want to taste something nice, if I want to be out and just let my hair down, I can do it without having necessarily to drink the alcohol. Mm. And that's okay. And that's what I found with a lot of friends that were dipping into their, their toes into the veganism side of things. That's what they found as well. It just felt more like I can just have something that it looks like everything else. Yeah. And it makes me feel happy. Because at the end of the day, they realize that it's not the meat that they want. It's just that memory mm. that they have. When it's food, that's what you have. It's that memory. It's the umami sometimes. Uh, the flavor kind of falls in as well. Yeah, as that's right. Yeah. And it's now... You, you can order that burger which tastes like the meat you remember without having any animals in it and it's not such an obvious statement is it you're not putting yourself out there you're just ordering a burger that looks just like a meat one I wanted to ask you actually do you know um, have you you know been I don't know involved with uh, Derek Sano from Wicked Healthy in any way we've uh, we've crossed paths at a few events we saw him at the launch for Wicked Healthy yeah we were there um just uh, as a sp as spectators, uh, but yeah, we've never we've never actually done too much work with him. But he is on our list for OPP Round for Tea. So Amazing. if he's if he's listening, then uh, we're we're going to be getting in touch. <laughs> we're coming for you. We'll be knocking on your door. Because <laughs> that's that's I found that was a, such a good move and shout when mm. they did that. Because realistically speaking, it's um. So maybe you can explain it probably even better than me because I think I might get it wrong. What um Wicked Healthy is. Um, and kind of like how you know how he's entered into the supermarket side of things. Yeah, so as far as I'm aware, um, they've got a, an amazing huge range of plant-based options in the chilled 
and frozen sections in Tesco's. Yes, that's it. And they're just they've just announced um, that they're going to be expanding that range even more, which is brilliant into other food types. Um, and I know that Derek's a massive mushroom advocate. Yes, um, I saw that. And I need to talk to him because I worked on a mushroom farm for a few years. Really? Not too long ago. Yeah, b- before I um, before I went into mental health, bef- and then before One Planet Pizza, I was a mushroom farm worker. So I need to. <laughs> I need to talk to him about mushrooms because <laughs> they're fascinating. But um, yeah, what he's doing for for um, the vegan movement is incredible. And I think what's so important is that he's not labelling it all vegan. It's so, true. And he's made a point of this that. that it's plant based and it's Wicked Kitchen. It's it's not got vegan stamped all over it. You wouldn't know unless you were a vegan that it was almost. So, which I think is crucial, and and it's something we're now doing. We're adopting this strategy of aiming our vegan products at non-vegans. And I think that's crucial for helping um, accelerate the movement because if you think about how can I get more and more people to eat less meat and dairy and more plants, we shouldn't be looking at the vegans who are already doing it and you know keeping them happy, which we can do at the same time. We yeah, want to exactly. be aiming it at the people who are eating the meat and dairy still. So we're, we've taken vegan um, our vegan messaging and we've sort of softened it on our you know, packaging and on our website and our tone of voice. And, and we want to make our pizzas a bit more almost inviting to non-vegans. We don't want to make them exclusive or seem like you have to be vegan to enjoy this pizza, which I think what he's done so well at Tesco is, is just create a product that looks healthy, is healthier, tastes great. It's still affordable. uh, And it happens to be vegan. So I think that's the thing. It's like you slip it in at the end. It just happens to have nothing but plants. And I like the fact that it's next to everything else. And also something that other places that I've seen, obviously more and more places and vegan options when it comes to the grab and go kind of thing. But still, sometimes I'm like, oh, it's just, it's great, but it's salad. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, like, it's, like, it's like a baguette with some salad. Yeah. What I like about uh, Wicked Healthy and the way that they've done it is that, as you say, big advocate with mushrooms and then mushrooms become the meat because they have the umami in yeah. it or anything like that. Um, even like some of the pakura and kind of cauliflower one was delicious. I had one once because it just, you know, there's flavors in it. Yeah, and substantial know, as well. And I think, you know, as well, guys, with the way that you work with your toppings and the way that you found the cheese, texture, flavors are so important mm. when it comes to any food. And that's probably the reason why for so long um, some diets or some lifestyles have been so frowned upon because you're like, you have this expectation that you're only going to eat peanuts and, and lettuce leaves. Yeah. The rest of your life, and it doesn't yeah. have to be that way. Um, one when it comes actually, that's what I wanted to ask you as well. When it comes to your toppings, because I know them, because when we did the shoot, we just had to remember which one was which. But yeah, how did you come about with the um, with the flavors? How do you come about with the flavors? Is there also like a community involvement when it comes to like thinking what people would want? Just it's interesting because I think it's so important for food actually the the customer feedback. Yeah, and uh, so we did some. As soon as we realised we were onto something and we we kickstarted um, our mission, um, we came up with the name of the company. We came up with an idea of the branding, and then one of the first things we also did was to host some group taste testing sessions in Norwich. So we had a big group of vegans that we we knew already, which was fortunate, and then we had a big group of family and friends um, that you kind of lure in by just saying, "Come and try some." free pizza and have a drink <laughs> you know it's not hard they're going to come along so we we had two big groups and we initially had these four flavors which are still the same now but we've just sort of tweaked and improved them over the last couple of years and um 
and we just gave everyone a sheet of paper with some basic questions and then a, a bit um, to write about their thoughts. And everyone said, you know, that those four, four is, is a great number for releasing a range of pizzas, but probably some other stuff as well, I should think, because um, it's not too many, but it's not too few. So it's just that it was that sweet spot for us. And with those toppings, we found that people were saying that they're the four sort of classic pizza flavours that, um, that you find in most supermarkets that are meat and dairy. Yeah. So we thought we probably want to create a range which is just varied enough but also not too um not too out there not too obscure not too trendy so we didn't want to go down the whole sourdough fermented toppings yeah you know everything organic (laughs) and everything um green we wanted to just create like for like swaps and these four were like the most classic flavors that we found that people responded to um so we just stuck to those four and we thought you know if if we're gonna compete with the big pizza companies and also appeal to the vegans, but try and catch the flexitarians and the non-vegans. We wanted to just create a nice, simple, uh, like-for-like range that you'd find in the supermarkets and people can say, oh, I can get the Hawaiian that happens to be vegan as well. I'm going to try that. It's healthier. It sounds like it's better for the environment. It sounds like it's, you know, it's better business. So why wouldn't I try it? So I thought there's pineapple in it, <laughs> which is actually nice. I had it. And We've changed your mind, haven't we? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's still a part of me that dies inside every single time. It's like there's work to be done. Aah! But it's not it's, the problem. Is not you guys. It's just like the stubbornness. Like I'm very flexible as an Italian that has food. I'm yeah. like, you know what? I'll try this. Or you know what? I get this. Pineapple on pizza. To it's be a, honest, it's a cultural thing, isn't it? We're <laughs> exactly. To, we're trying to take on a whole culture. <laughs> Which is fair silly. enough, because again, the US did it. It works mm. for them. So realistically speaking, it's a cultural, like it's, it's a US pizza kind of thing. That's how I see it and that's why I accept it. It's yeah. all right. But also you do it very well because um, I think a part of it is the frozen when it defrosts. It doesn't get this soggy, wet pineapple on top of it, which some people probably like. I don't. Yeah. The little the flavor actually is not bad. It's just to me, I'm like soggy, watery pineapple. I had it mm. once on it. I was like, what are you doing to me? Why are you doing to my country? <laughs> it's blasphemy, so, isn't it? So I do understand that. Now, another question about kind of work, which you know I was going to ask anyway, because I recently discovered that Mike is your dad. Yeah. Or oh, I actually got the proof by asking him yes, he was your dad <laughs> yesterday. So uh, there's no more like tantalizing over it. But yeah, how is it working with your dad? Yeah, I, mean, I, I thought everyone knew. I'm going to be honest. Everyone we've met at events and other brands we've come across and... I thought it was obvious, but apparently not. So we maybe we need to talk about this more. Um, but yeah, I, it's fine. I mean, I always say that we, we've we always got on really well. Um, we don't really fight or argue about anything. I can't remember the last time we did. Probably when he was hungry. That's the only time he gets a bit scary. <laughs> um, and yeah, we, we get on absolutely brilliantly. And um, we understand each other and how our minds work. And I think ultimately we have the same goal. We want the same things. Um, and especially with the brand we want it to go in the same we always have wanted it to go in the same direction yeah. so there's never been any animosity or any um, any debates or uh, confusion amongst us you know there's just been this understanding so yeah it's, it's been fine and uh, touch wood it always will be <laughs> is um, were you, I, I'm asking because that's one of the things that I would think about when it comes to you know being so close to somebody um, have you ever been like working together especially on one planet and also living together or is it you have a bit of distance in that respect as well because I'm thinking like if you know always being in some environment yeah. always talking about it always 
you know, that can be a bit too much. But again, that's why I'm interested in that. Yeah, it's mainly um, it's mainly a problem because I neglect seeing my girlfriend or neglect seeing the other, you know, my other family members or friends <laughs> because I'm with him so much. That's the problem. So, <laughs> so we're, we're careful. Yeah, I'm, we don't live together. Um, he actually lives in a motorhome, but you'll have to ask him about that. Oh, my God. So he's, yeah, he's gone down that path of living off, off the beaten track and uh, off grid. So um, you can still contact him, obviously. Oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah, I know that. Uh, he's, tr- he's trying to live a bit more simply. Oh, I love um, that. Yeah, but we, we keep our distance um, because we know that we can't spend all this time together and and, and stay, um, yeah, it's just not healthy. So, yeah, we, we, do, uh, we do watch a lot of series, but um, we don't live together, which I think is the main thing. Yeah, it's a good balance. Because I was going to say, probably that balance that you want to find as yeah. well between that and, and the fact that you can also talk about personal stuff, which is fine. Yeah. Because it will do with co-workers as well. But obviously, is an extra level, I think, of yeah, exactly. caring. I guess more on his side, probably. You know, mm. he's your dad, so there's also, like, personal interest in yeah. you as a son. There's, like, a different kind of protection or yeah. protectiveness that he has towards you. Yeah, different. that's right. And it can be an advantage in business because we know we're not going to cross each other or shortchange each other or deceive each other because we're, you know, we're related. So you can't really... You want the same things for each other on a personal level as well as a, a business that's side of true. things. That's very true. And actually, my mum works in the kitchen just to make it even more complicated. Really? Yeah, so she's our, one of our kitchen managers and she's, um, she's making it. pizza as we speak. I love um, it. Yeah, so just to make it even more, uh, more of a, a Norfolk company. <laughs> how much do uh, you do guys still in-house and how much do you outsource? Because I remember that you've got, uh, which you can mention a bit more about as well, like you won the kitchen plant. Was it pitching plant? Yeah. And then you were like, there was some investment, and then some of that you also wanted to expand. So I'm wondering how much do you still do yourselves? How much do you outsource? How are you finding the balance also with the growth and the scale that you want to do for the company? So, with our sort of relatively big goals of where we want to be in the next few years, we realized um, this at the start of this year that we needed more um, investment, we needed a bit more backing, and also we were looking for ways to increase our production capabilities really quickly so we want to be ready end of this year to hit the supermarkets to expand across Europe and hopefully America yeah and um, we realized that we could if we wanted to do it ourselves um, we'd have to probably do another round of crowdfunding which would have been great but um, building another kitchen would have taken ages it was a slow way of doing things to expand Um, which is where Heather Mills came into it Um, we met her at Vivolution I think a couple of years back and um, and now we've got to the stage where she recently invested in us. So she's now a significant investor in OPP. Um, and part of that investment was that we will eventually move most of our pizza production up north into her new um, giant pizza, um, giant vegan production site in, oh, in Newcastle. So she's got one of the biggest, I think it will be the biggest um, vegan food production site in Europe which is incredible wow. and, and we thought this is a great opportunity we can't not um, grab this um, so yeah she's now an investor and the plan is is for us to scale up using her enormous manufacturing um, site so that's going to hopefully happen over the next month or so and that kind of allows you still to retain some of you know like well I guess most of the core of what OPP is but also getting that scale, the scaling that you needed because realistically yeah. speaking it sounds like it's more of a logistically sort of help that you needed rather yeah. than like shuffling the old business around anyway yeah that's it so we wanted to we know that we want 
um, to be a, a sort of international global brand. And one of the ways to do that was to find someone that we can trust that's only going to produce vegan and, um, and, and wants to invest in the brand as well. So it was so lucky that those three things were also whatever was interested in. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so she's really excited um, to be producing for us soon because she knows that she, she can help us get into bigger markets quite quickly and, and her kitchen her production site is just, um, is just enormous. And, you know, for us to get to that stage ourselves would have taken so many years so, and we just didn't have the time we wanted to do this now before you know com- competition comes along and, and beats us to it and I guess you also are realistically speaking you and, and, and Mike are part of the face of the brand mm. so it's not just like you're on the back which to be honest when I think about it most of the health and wellness um, more like smaller kind of like companies entrepreneurs we end up being the face of the brand because yeah. there is a need for that because it's about the story that's behind is your story guys and the story that's behind the brand is what also helps connecting with the community and whether yeah. it's the influencers the bloggers or just the customers so I guess having that on top of obviously everything else that you have to do realistically speaking there's so much time that you can take yeah. into because I think a lot of the time people forget that in order to have a, a product-based brand that is actually a, a tangible product, especially food, you got to have to do all the things that you need to do in order to get it out. It yeah. doesn't magically get it set out. You can't outsource from the get-go. So no, no, you be... have to prove that there's demand to then go to someone and say, can you produce X amount for us at this cost? And uh, yeah, getting to that stage is the hard part. But uh, but now that we, we still see the potential to take the business to the next level, Yeah. Um, to crank it up a gear, we need to we need help with the manufacturing so that me and Mike can be freed up to, as the faces of the brand, to go out there to hit more events, to um, you know to come up with new ideas, to release new flavors. So all these things, when when we have more time, we'll be able to push forwards because uh, we've got so many ideas. But at the <laughs> moment, like you say, we're just uh, we're so busy producing these products and and sorting out all the logistical stuff and the distribution that uh, we're so limited with our time. So yeah. this is, it's going to be exciting when we can move that production uh, up to Heather's new factory and, and we can focus on all the other stuff that we know we can do. Yay! <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm clapping, like, soundlessly. Yeah. <laughs> just, just so that people are like, ow! Um, one more thing, actually, that I wanted to ask before I ask the final question um, was, is there one thing that you think that you have learned um, when it comes to being in a food business, that's that's kind of like the thing that I was interested in seeing now. One thing that you actually have learned, something that you think people are like, oh yeah, I'm excited, I want to start my peanut butter business or whatever it is. And something that you didn't think about when you guys got into this and you were like, oh, damn, I should have mm. thought about that. Just Even if it's one thing, it can be as small or as big as you want. Oh, yeah, there are, we've, I mean, we've learned so much um, because we've had to make all these mistakes ourselves from the get-go. And we hadn't done it before, so there was yeah. so much to learn. Um, I guess well, I guess one of the things I always picked up on was um, don't be afraid to um, make changes based on what customers have said. Yeah. So I think quite often people have fed back their thoughts on the packaging, the tone of voice, the flavours, you know, the ingredients we use. And um, we've always been quite good at listening to those comments and... And taking them aboard and thinking, do we need to make these changes? And is everyone else thinking this? Yeah. So that's yeah, quite yeah. important. So you so you get some feedback and it may just be one person in, in a thousand. But how would you know unless you go out there and ask the same question to more people? Yeah. So I'd say 
we've learned to to listen to the feedback because some of it may actually apply to more than that one person who voiced it you know they may be representative of a, a wider audience who are all thinking the same thing so we've learned to pick up on what everyone's saying um and another thing we've learned is is with it specifically within vegan food production is that perhaps um it's really tempting to um to go heavy on the vegan branding so mm-hmm. just at the start we were stamping on the front of our boxes better for you better for the planet better for the animals um vegan and then there was another plant powered stamp on it as well so the the vegan messaging was really strong and heavy and it was the first thing that hits you when you look at the packaging yeah 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 and um we didn't realize until we started growing and uh, becoming a, a larger national company with a bigger audience that um a lot of people who are buying the pizzas aren't vegan they're just they're thinking about it they're flexitarian uh, they're buying it for someone else and those that messaging was was too hard and and it was almost too opinionated for a lot of people yeah and it, we were finding it was actually putting some people off because oh, okay. it felt like too much of a exclusive product for an intimate club <laughs> and so we when we went to our first major retailer the east of england co-op who have stores across the whole of norfolk and suffolk okay and we're now in about 20 to 25 of their stores which yeah, is yeah. really exciting um they actually did an audit for us and their feedback from the average consumer mm-hmm. and their team was that the product's great um you know it's got some really brilliant usps but the uh, vegan message was just too overruling and overriding okay, and they enough. said step back you know vegans will know it's vegan because you've got the trademark on it that's all you need yeah, 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 yeah. and um most people won't be vegan buying this now so you need to get your head around that so it's kind of i guess the message was your market um know your audience and yeah. your consumer may change as you grow so we found that we started off just selling to vegans and then before we knew it most of our consumers weren't vegan but we hadn't changed the packaging and message enough to do to um be relevant for those new customers so we i guess yeah it's it's keep in touch with who your customers are and that will change as you grow awesome um one more question dun, 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 dun. this is this is the one has been the hardest for everybody so yeah just prepping you that um if you could have vegan <clears throat> brunch obviously uh, with one person dead or alive who would they be vegan brunch with one person yeah. dead or alive yeah <sighs> it's hard einstein was vegetarian right i think so yeah that would be a good one but i think a lot i, I think a lot of what he would say would go over my head no <laughs> doubt um i i tell you what steve jobs that would be brilliant he was a master wasn't he in in marketing and Uh, product innovation so from a business point of view probably Steve Jobs yeah and he was a real hippie and I believe he was vegetarian as well I think he was I'm sure mm-hmm. he'd be vegan if he was around now yeah <laughs> by now he would have been vegan yeah uh, and I tell you what, in terms of who's still alive DiCaprio he's my favourite actor he always has been and I'm pretty sure he's he's a secret vegan you know because he's he's uh, his charitable isn't... yeah his charitable work is always linked to climate change and um he's invested in some vegan brands and i think um, i'm surprised if he comes out as vegan soon and that would be amazing which one is your favorite um dicaprio though now you to ask if you're a big fan and because i'm i'm a fan myself favorite right? dicaprio i mean he only does good films doesn't he and he does he's not about quantity what, the beach are you sure about the beach i love the beach <laughs> i love the beach um, the jury is out about my, the beach my favorite uh 
is probably Wolf of Wall Street. That was a good one. That was a it was a brilliant film. The Departed. What's yours? Um, probably The Departed. Yeah. Or um, Inception was. Oh no, Shut Around was surprisingly good. Shut I... First view though. Yes. Second view. I mean, oh. it's still great, but it has that shock factor, doesn't it? The first you know, time you see it. You know what I said though, um, which was kind of funny. Um, I like DiCaprio a lot when he gets beaten up or he dies. I think he does it really well when he yeah. gets really battered and he's like, when he's happy, DiCaprio is not as good. When he's really like battered or like a lot of stuff happens to him or there's a lot of drama, then, you know, I like him more. Somehow. Like Blood Diamond. Kind of thing. And yeah. just like, yeah, battered DiCaprio works well <laughs> <laughs> for some reason. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for uh, being with us and chatting. My pleasure. It was lovely. And um, yeah, well... We'll keep in touch. We'll make sure that we share all the good One Planet news as well. And um, yeah, watch out for me on the on the tea. Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to working with you in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Make an Impact Show. For more info on the HBC, head to our socials at hbloggers.com or go to our website healthbloggerscommunity.com. Now get out there and be awesome.